Hello and welcome to the Two Guys Four Balls podcast. Welcome to the Two Guys Four Balls podcast. This is Julius. Of course, I'm here with Patrick. And the time has arrived, folks. We are at, or at least on the verge of Super Bowl Sunday. We know who's in the matchup. We know we've got the Kansas City Chiefs looking to defend their title. You know, we've got the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, again, one of the best rosters in football. We've talked about that. Now let's get into how each of these teams got to the biggest game of the season. Starting with the AFC Championship, the Kansas City Chiefs went into Baltimore and knocked off the Ravens 17-10. This was a game where the tone was set early. Uh, Baltimore got the ball first. They immediately went three and out. Uh, we saw Nelson Aguilar drop a pass on third down, but he was also about two or three yards short of the line of gains, so even had he caught it, it still would have been a three and out, just a rough start offensively for the Ravens. Kansas City, on the other hand, their first drive, they take the ball 86 yards down the field. They score a touchdown immediately. So again, setting the tone. They converted a fourth and two at Baltimore's 41 on the opening drive on a pass to Travis Kelsey. And then, of course, Kelsey also caught the first touchdown of the game. And that's just a great play. I mean, Kyle Hamilton had great coverage there. And that's just two great players in Mahomes and Kelsey making a play together. Uh, Mahomes with the throw in the one spot that was open. Uh, I would call it a back shoulder, but it was really thrown closer to the back of Kelsey's knee. So a great job by him to be able to reach down and make that catch. So just as a defender, nothing you can do about that except be in good position. Uh, for Hamilton, that's the first time all year a tight end has scored on him. So he's been tremendous in coverage, and he was tremendous in coverage on that play. Uh, just a better throw and catch from a couple of guys with Hall of Fame uh, credentials in Mahomes and Kelsey. Uh, the Ravens, they understood. Uh, being down 7-0 early, they had to kick it into gear. So they, on their next drive, instead of just going three and out again, they go for a fourth and one at their own 34. So basically game on the line in the first quarter. Uh, Lamar Jackson ends up running for 21 yards on that play. The next play, Gus Edwards picks up a 15-yard run. You'd think this would motivate the Ravens to keep running the ball, but that's not what happened at all. But uh, those big runs back-to-back, -back, they set the stage for Lamar Jackson to have his best play of the game, a play where he was able to break away from a Leo Chennault, uh potential sack, get the ball down the field to Zay Flowers for a strike in the end zone. Uh, somehow, someway, Nick Bolton ended up on Flowers on that play, so you got a mismatch down the field. Jackson able to take advantage after showing some elusivity to get out of the pocket there. Uh, just a tremendous play uh, to get Baltimore right back into the game. Uh, the, key, the Chiefs responded. They continued their hot start. Mahomes actually went 10 for 10 in the first quarter with 86 yards and a touchdown, so uh, tough to start off better than he did, and then he picked right back up where he left off. Uh, going into the second quarter, uh, he had a just amazing scramble play where it looked like he was going to be sacked for sure. Got the ball away at the last second to Travis Kelsey to convert a third down. Uh, he ran for another third down in the red zone. That run set up a short touchdown for Isaiah Pacheco to get the Chiefs back in front. 
Uh, then it looked like the Chiefs had a chance to, to really bury the Ravens. The next Ravens possession, Lamar Jackson gets stripped by Charles Amenehu, who again has been an underrated pass rusher coming from the blind side for right-handed quarterbacks. So Amenehu makes the big play. It looks like Kansas City has the opportunity to kind of lay the hammer early. They decide to go for the knockout. They go for a fourth down and short in the red zone. They run Pacheco, and who's there to stop it? Of course, it's Kyle Hamilton. Most important position in football, playmaking safety, doing what he does as well as any playmaking safety in football this year. Uh, so even when your quarterback makes a mistake, turns the ball over in his own territory, which you can't have in the postseason, who's there to save the day? A safety. Just throwing it out there. So Kansas City does uh, add another field goal before halftime to go up 17-7. Uh, that field goal was largely aided by a couple of silly Ravens penalties. Uh, Kyle Van Noy had a 15-yard penalty for basically chest-bumping Travis Kelsey. I thought it was kind of a weak call, but we're in the, the age where you can't do that kind of thing. And then uh, Travis Jones with a more blatant 15-yard penalty, just basically a hook to the face of Mahomes. Uh, you can't do that in just uh, any era. So a couple of silly penalties for the Ravens got the Chiefs into position to kick that field goal. Chiefs could have had a touchdown. Uh, Rasheed Rice actually caught a touchdown on the screen pass, something he's done well throughout the second half of the year, especially. Uh, but a hold on Trey Smith uh, canceled that out. Trey Smith had back-to-back -back holds, almost cost the Chiefs any chance to score, let alone a touchdown. But uh, Harrison Butker, credit to him for hitting a 52-yarder right before halftime to give the Chiefs a 10-point lead. Uh, when you look at how the first half played out, Kansas City held the ball for over 20 minutes. And when you have the ball for over two-thirds of the half, you're probably going to go into half leading. Travis Kelsey, nine receptions in the first half. Again, some of them just really tough throws. But Kelsey, who, again, had a subpar second half of the season, especially after he got nicked up with the ankle issue, uh, this he looked back to his you know best receiving tight end in, in the league form the last couple of weeks and certainly the first half of this game. Uh, you get into the second half of this game, uh, not much offense for most of the third quarter. Then you get to late in the third quarter. That's when Lamar Jackson hits Zay Flowers deep for a 54-yarder. And unfortunately, Flowers after that gets a taunting penalty. And he could have maybe gotten away with kind of pushing Snead back to the ground after the play. Maybe he could have got away with kind of tossing the ball at Snead as he was on the ground. Maybe Flowers could have gotten away with standing over top of Snead and flexing. You're not going to get away with all three of those in one swift motion. So uh, it seemed like Flowers almost wanted that taunting penalty. Uh, he got it. Uh, just a little sign of inexperience there. He'll know better next time. Uh, then a couple of plays later, the biggest play of the game, uh, Flowers catches a pass, crossing pattern, wide open. Looks like he's going to dive into the end zone and score. And Legereus Snead, right at the goal line, knocks the ball out. You could tell it was a fumble. It looked like maybe he scored, but if you look at Flowers' reaction, he didn't react and put his hands up or act like he scored. He knew he had lost that ball before he crossed the goal line. The Chiefs recover, and I just don't think that the Ravens ever recovered from that play. Um, a lot of people are blaming Flowers for the loss. I'm not going to do that. The man did have 115 yards in the touchdown, but uh, just a bad moment and a major learning experience at you know, one of the worst times you could possibly have it for Flowers, but otherwise a good game for him. Uh, after that, it felt like the Ravens got desperate. Like I said, they went away from the run, uh, just, just would not run the football, and didn't just go away from the run. 
You saw a lot of just silly forced passes down the field for no reason. Guys weren't open, specifically passes down the left sideline where the Chiefs' corners did a great job of using the sideline as an extra defender. Passes weren't open. You're still trying to throw them. Don't know why. And then, of course, with the game still a 10-point game, uh, the Ravens finally do move the ball down the field. And Lamar Jackson decides to go for it all at a time where he didn't have to. Tries to hit a tough pass to Isaiah Likely. And who comes up with the play? Deion Bush filling in for Mike Edwards at the most important position in football, playmaking safety. If you want to close the team out in the playoffs, it'll help a lot if your safety comes through and makes a play. A backup safety comes through and makes this play for Kansas City to help put this game away. It's a beautiful thing to see. Uh, so Kansas City's safeties came through in this game. Like I said, Deion Bush made that play. Justin Reed had a big sack to end the drive in the second half. Kansas City's safeties came through. They win the game. It's just, just that's how it goes. In a, in a game where the Chiefs did not score in the second half, their defense came through, their safeties came through, and that's why they end up on top. That said, the Chiefs still had to make one play on offense in the second half. And on a third and nine, when... You know, people think you might just run the ball, make the Ravens use the last time out, run some clock. Nope. Patrick Mahomes drops back and Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who all of a sudden these last couple weeks can catch the football, makes another big catch to put this game away. Uh, the Ravens in the fourth quarter, again, you just saw more of a lack of poise for a team that's been so good all year. You had a Jadeveon Clowney roughing the pass in the fourth quarter. You had a silly 12 men on defense, something you can't have in the fourth quarter of a game where you're trying to come back. Uh, Roquan Smith obviously had the unnecessary roughness where he just smashed into the offensive lineman to, I guess, try to draw an encroachment penalty to reset the down and distance. Uh, the Ravens in this game, eight penalties for 95 yards. You cannot give a team like the Chiefs basically an entire football field of penalties in a game and think you're going to beat them. So that was a big problem for the Ravens along with uh, the play calling, and along with Lamar Jackson having a couple of turnovers and not having his best moments in this game. Uh, the Chiefs, they ran the ball. Isaiah Pacheco didn't have the greatest game running, but he had 24 carries. That's triple what, what the Ravens had as a team if you take away Lamar Jackson's carries. So, again, no excuse for that from the coaching staff. Um, again, this is where I'd like to see Lamar Jackson take control, check into run plays when you see the Chiefs lining up in dime in a first and ten situation. Let's check up to a run. Forget what the, what the coaches are calling if they're not going to call a good game. So that's a concern for me. Also a concern. I said the return of Mark Andrews, even with him being back, I wanted to see Isaiah likely be a prominent piece. He only had three targets in this game, only had 16 yards, his lowest total since Mark Andrews got hurt. You've got to find a way moving forward. Isaiah likely is too much of a um, – a mismatch to to avoid or to ignore just because Mark Andrews is back. To me, he's a better receiving threat than Mark Andrews. And I know that's blasphemous to some of these fantasy football players, but I'm just going to say that now. So you can't have this either. But uh, with all that said, the Chiefs, they continue to show you why they are champions, why they are winners, why they have the resumes they have. And because of that, they'll be back in the Super Bowl next week. I hate that Charles Aminahu tore his ACL in this game. Get an underrated player, a big part of this Chiefs defense that has been the better unit on this team for most of the year. But uh, other than that, this is the Chiefs doing what they do. 
and a huge, huge missed opportunity for Lamar Jackson and the Ravens to rewrite their legacies in this game. Yeah, great breakdown of the game, Julius. I'm not going to go back over everything that uh, you went over, but we saw the trend that I've been talking about all year with zero points and a half, but somehow the Chiefs, as you already broke down, still won this game. Zero points in the second half, and that's what happens whenever the other team only scores three points in the the second half. So um, I got to call out the coaching staff. I know everyone wants to blame Lamar Jackson. Yes, the pick he threw uh, was a terrible pick. Um, and he did fumble the ball in this game as well. So two turnovers is not great um, in the championship game. The one turnover, as you talked about, the fumble really didn't hurt the team because the Chiefs went for it on, on fourth down, which you know I hate. So blowing the whistle on Andy Reid there, and we'll talk about going for it on fourth down uh, very soon. Um, <clears throat> but uh, the offense for the Ravens, inexcusable. 16 carries. This game was never... Three, four scores out of it. Um, 17-7 at half. You can still run your offense. Uh, yes. I, Gus Edwards with only three carries. I know he had a 15-yarder, so his average looks inflated at 6.7. But still, you should not only give Gus Edwards three carries, especially if he ripped off a 15-yarder. It just doesn't make sense. Um, I know the Ravens faithful love Harbaugh because he won them a Super Bowl. But I have questioned on this podcast for multiple years now, Julius, the decisions he makes in big games. And people think I'm crazy because, again, they love Harbaugh. But this is just outright absurd to to even allow your offensive coordinator. Because I know everything goes through the head coach's headset. For people who think, like, whenever they think, oh, uh, Sean McDermott didn't say to go for it on fourth down for that punt to to uh, DeMar Hamlin. He's the head coach. He hears everything. You you are the head coach for a reason. You veto things that should not work. Lamar Jackson did not need to throw it 37 times in this game. Also, I'm blowing the whistle on Lamar Jackson. You had so much success running the ball all year. Why did you only run it eight times? They're blitzing you. What was some of your biggest plays? Running around. You scrambled and got away from the blitz to hit Zay Flowers for that touchdown. The reason he got open on that touchdown is because you beat the Blitz by running around and making an amazing throw. I don't know if any other quarterback could have made that pass to get out of that pressure. Lamar Jackson did. Lamar Jackson, like you already talked about how they went for it and he scrambled for 21 yards. Like, I just, it wasn't the Ravens that we're used to seeing. This is why these conspiracy theories about the NFL being scripted, Julius, are... People think they're valid because of things like this. The Ravens were the best running team all year. They averaged almost 30 carries a game, and you're going to run it 16 times in this game? Yeah, with with half of that being Lamar. With half of that being Lamar. Lamar had eight carries. It just doesn't make sense. They averaged 5.1 yards a carry, and that's with Zay Flowers and Justice Hill averaging two and one. (laughs) So, So I just... I was concerned as soon as Justice Hill got the first carry of the game. I was so confused. I was like, why is Gus Edwards not in the game to start this game? And unless he has an injury or something that we didn't know about, I just don't understand the game plan. Um, Again, Lamar should use his legs more. Uh, The Ravens, they could have won this game easily, Julius. There were many missed opportunities for them. Uh, I know people would say, well, the Kansas State defense missed a lot of interceptions in this game as well, which I do understand, but... 
the Ravens miss a lot of opportunities in this game, Julius. Um, not stopping that third down with Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes where Travis Kelsey made a hell of a diving catch to, to get back to the spot to dive and make that. I mean, that's you can't defend against that, but guess what? There were a miss, there were some missed sacks and some missed tackles on that play. Um, you already talked about all the penalties by the Ravens, just dumb penalties. I know Ravens fans are mad about one or two of them, and I agree that some of them were soft penalties. But don't come at me saying Jadavion Clowney uh, or whoever the one that whoever punched Mahomes in the head. Don't try and tell me that wasn't a roughing the passer. I don't need to hear it. That was Travis Jones. Yeah, <laughs> that that's a roughing the passer every day of the week. Doesn't matter who's playing who. Um, they'll call that uh, the one the one where uh, the dude chest bumped Travis Kelsey was weak. But this is today's NFL. We know that. Um, and as I talked about last week on this podcast, Julius, with the Bills and the Ravens game and all those things, I mean, Bills and Chiefs game last week, um, you don't let the refs decide a game for you, right? You never put the game in the refs' hands. Um, so just walk off the field. And I know Ravens fans are mad about that, but you're, you guys gave up so many dumb penalties in this game. Um, your offense, I would be more mad at the offensive coordinator and head coach, honestly. Again, you can be mad at Lamar Jackson. He didn't execute um everything he needed to execute but the reason y'all had a home game in the afc championship was because of lamar jackson so if i already see ravens fans flip-flopping julius it just infuriates me all year this man's most likely about to win his second mvp and these guys are and ravens fans not even just regular dumb fans who hate black quarterbacks (laughs) ravens fans are saying lamar can't get it done in the playoffs lamar sucks lamar's a running back not a quarterback this man's about to win his second MVP with y'all. Y'all are just hurt because you lost to the Chiefs. But Julius, for me, and this may sound crazy, Patrick Mahomes is a top three quarterback of all time already. I don't think there's anything crazy about that. I think that's borderline definitive at this point. I just, for what he's done in his six-year career, it's just, it's it's astounding. There's it's net, There's been no precedent like this before. Um you see all the records he's breaking and all that stuff. It's just, it's just insane. But, um, yeah. Anyway, this, I, I, Lamar again did not play a perfect game by any means. But what was your offensive coordinator doing? It starts with who's calling the plays, and to run it. Not, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not even gonna count Lamar's carries to run it eight times. And two of those were with a wide receiver. So to run it six yes. times with your yes. running backs, <laughs> asinine, asinine. Oh, man. It's not even like the Chiefs' defense was stopping y'all on the run. That's the thing that pisses no. me off the most. <laughs> so uh, Ravens' defense, uh, statistically, if you look at the statistics, man, it's their best defense in a long time since you know the Ed Reed, Ray Lewis days. Um, they're going to lose Patrick Queen most likely in free agency because that dude's about to get a payday. I love Patrick Queen. I think he's a great yes. linebacker. Uh, Ravens made their decision when they paid all that money for Roquan Smith. I don't blame them. He's also a great linebacker. Um, but they're probably about to lose Matabuke and Patrick Queen in free agency. Um, this was their year. This was their chance. I think it's going to be hard for them to get back here. Um They're just going to lose so much on the defensive side of the ball, Julius. I'm worried about them. Uh, we'll see how the offense looks next year. You can't only run it six times with your running backs in a game that was never out of hand. So again, I'm, I'm step one. Most of the blame for me is going to the offensive coordinator and head coach. Um, 
you got to look at Harbaugh in some of these situations, man. In some of these games, especially with some of the play calls and things of uh, last five or six years, it's very questionable. So um, Lamar's going to win the second MVP. Ravens fans and other dumb NFL fans can hate all they want, uh, but he is clearly a certified stud, and he deserves to play quarterback in the NFL. I don't know why we're even discussing this. It just makes no sense to me, but... Lamar, hopefully y'all can get over the hump. The problem is you're in the AFC and you have to face Patrick Mahomes before you can even get to a Super Bowl. So, um, Julius, I, I, and last week uh, on the last podcast, I said I was going back and forth. And I said it's really hard for me to go against Mahomes, but I went with the Ravens because uh, I picked them at the beginning uh, to win it all. Yep. And shame on me. I should have learned my lesson and just went with the Chiefs because um, they do what they do. and Mahomes and Kelsey do what they do. And we talked about how good their defense was all year. And, and like I said, in the preseason, one of my bold predictions was uh, McDuffie was going to be an all-pro. That came true. We talked about how improved this defense was. Um, the, again, the offense did what it needed to do to win the game, uh, but a lot of the credit should be going to the defense uh, for this unit. So let's now go West Coast, Julius, and get into the NFC Championship game. I'm talking the Detroit Lions going to San Francisco to face the 49ers 49ers win this game um very controversial but not controversial but um they win it 34 31 julius uh after being completely dominated in the first half of this game 24 7 at half um listen i know lions fans are gonna be mad at me uh but i've been talking about it all year you know i have i said dan campbell is going to cost his team a game and it happened. It happened in the Dallas game. It happened in some of the other games earlier this season, but it happened in the biggest game of the Lions franchise in a very, very long time, if not of all time. So um, let's get into the game, Julius. Um, you normally do the breakdown, so I'll let you break everything down. But, again, I talked about Jamison Williams getting healthy, and what's the one of the first things he does? He's the first one to score a touchdown this game on a 42-yard run. Um his explosiveness is coming back uh, again. He had the injury, then he had his gambling, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> suspension. So he's finally getting on the, getting on the field and starting to make plays. Um, the the Lions were controlling everything. Julius in this game, the, the running attack was working well. Goff was playing good. Um, but listen, I, I love Dan Campbell's aggressiveness. I do. I. I just don't think that he needs to be as aggressive as he is all the time. So, um, yeah. So, listen, they're winning 24 to 7 at the half, right? Uh, 49ers in the first mm -hmm. half had a missed field goal. They threw an interception and they punted. So, those, those were their drives missed field goal and then Lions touchdown, touchdown. Touchdown for the 49ers. Lions punted, but then 49ers threw a pick. Lions get another touchdown. 49ers punt. Lions get a field goal. Then it's the end of the half. Come out. Then Detroit's defense does okay, and they hold them to a field goal. So on the very next drive for the Lions, it's third. Okay, it's fourth and two at the San Francisco 28. You're up 24 to 10. There you go. Do not give a team that's the number one seed. At home, any chance of gaining momentum in this game? 
And I know people think momentum's not that big of a deal. Momentum is huge in sports. I don't know why people think try to downplay momentum, Julius. It's the same thing we talked about with the Green Bay San Francisco game. We saw this last week. And I just don't understand what Dan Campbell... Again, I, I love his aggressiveness. It's what's gotten to this point. But you have to understand the time, the place, how much you're up by. Because if you go up 27 to 10, you're up by three scores. Even if they get two touchdowns and two two-point conversions, guess what, Julius? They're losing by one point. Then 27-26. What does he do? Go for it on fourth and two. Again, the play call was fine. It hit Josh Reynolds in the hands. Josh Reynolds had multiple yeah. drops in this game. And and that's and you can say it's on Josh Reynolds. He dropped it. The play call was great. Blah, blah, blah. Guess what? You put it into your players, though, to make that play, which I know players love, but sometimes you got to save players from themselves. And if you're not throwing it to St. Brown or Laporta on fourth down, I don't want you throwing it to anybody. <laughs> Granted, the play call was great. Reynolds was open. It was It was a little bit of a low throw, but again... You have Jared Goff at quarterback. You know what you have with him. You're putting it into Goff's hands and anybody else's hands. So you could have kicked the field. I'm not saying he's going to make it, but if he makes it, you go up 27 to 10. Instead, they stop it, a.k.a. he drops it. And what do they do, Julius? Five plays, 72 yards, and a touchdown. Um, Again, on that play, though, on that drive for them to get a touchdown, Purdy should have thrown an interception, right? Hits the dude. Definitely. Hits the Hits the safety in the face mask. And Brandon Ayuk makes a hell of a play. I don't want to take anything away from Brandon Ayuk's play on this. Um, You know I'm high on him. I know you're high on Brandon Ayuk. I think he's one of the most Mm -hmm. underrated receivers out of that draft class. Um, But, again, that should have been an interception. Instead, it hits Vidor in the the visor, right? So, you know, just change one letter from Vidor to visor. Um, and Ayuk makes a hell of a catch, man. Again, tip drill catch. Um, and then, of course, they try to force feed Ayuk after that to get the touchdown, and they finally get it on third and goal. Um, he makes another hell of a catch on that touchdown, by the way. Uh, but, again, you should have had an interception. You don't, but you, again, are letting the chance of them to come back. So now they're only down by a touchdown. You fumble on the very – Gibbs fumbles on the very next thing. They get another touchdown. You punt. They get a field goal. Now you're down. So, you know, everyone is talking about this second uh, fourth and three that they went for, Julius. Um, mm-hmm. And they're saying that that cost them the game. I don't – to me, that didn't cost them the game. I think the first fourth down they went for it is the one that really changed the complexion of this game. And – um Again, it's so funny when you hear other people talk. They're like, oh, if they would have kicked that field goal, it only would have been a tied game. Well, no. If everything plays out the same way, which I don't think it does if they kick that first field goal, if everything played out the same Mm. way, they would have gone up by three points if they didn't go for it the first fourth down. But because you went for it on that first fourth down, I felt like Dan Campbell felt like he needed to go for it on that fourth down because of how much momentum San Francisco had. So... Again, something that happened in the third quarter affects you in the fourth quarter and affects how you're now calling the game to try to go to the Super Bowl. In my opinion, Julius, Detroit blew this. Detroit should have won this game. Uh, I I don't want to take anything away from San Francisco, but I think if you make different play calls here or there, especially with Dan Campbell always going for it, 
Um, I think the momentum stays on your side. I think you go up by three scores. I think that affects San Francisco. You kick off to them. They're starting from the 25 instead of having all this energy and momentum from stopping you. Um, and again, Ayuk had to make that catch off the tip drill. Amazing catch. Uh, th- we see things like that every year, like the Julia, Julian Edelman catch on, on the shoestrings. We've seen crazy catches in the playoffs all the time. Um, I don't know, man. I just I feel bad for Detroit. Um, Dan Campbell had a hell of a season, so did Detroit, but I really think that they should be in the Super Bowl, Julius, and I feel like they really blew their chance away uh, in this game, especially after the start that they had. You know, going twenty-four to seven, and and at half on the road, you got to be feeling good about yourself. And then Downs fumble punt on your three possessions out of halftime is going to lose you um, games. And you know they got that touchdown in garbage time essentially, and they used a timeout there as well. Which mm-hmm. again, the 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 coaching in the second half of this game was just abysmal by Detroit. Uh, so then you have to go for an onside kick. No one gets onside kicks anymore. My strategy, no. my strategy, Julius, for an onside kick would be just drill it at someone and hope it hits their face mask or something. That's, that's the best bet. It comes back that's to you because, <laughs> yeah, because no one's getting a regular onside kick anymore. Um, yeah, again, like I said, they get that garbage time touchdown. It's a garbage time now because they use their timeout instead of having three timeouts where you make San Francisco actually do something. They can just they can just down it and, and win the game. Um, Shout out to Brock Purdy, though. Made the plays in the second half when he needed to. Used his legs like I wish Lamar would have used his legs more. Um, and, yeah, man, San Francisco, we get the rematch. We get Kansas City-San Francisco rematch. Um, again, it kind of felt like we knew Kansas City was going to get there. Uh, but after the Taylor Swift thing, I'm not going to get into that conspiracy theory, though. But, Anyway, I feel like the Lions blew this, Julius. Uh, if you want to break down the game by more, you may, you might as well. McCaffrey had a hell of a game. We know that we both think he could easily be an MVP candidate as well. Um, Could be. Two touchdowns in this game, and he just keeps doing what he does. <laughs> he, he is their offense when they need a spark. Um, but, yeah, in a game where, where George Kittle was quiet, uh, and Ayuk only had three catches, but that one catch for 51 yards off the visor was – the most important one of them all. Um, I want to give a shout out real quick before I pass it to you, Julius, to Kyle Juszczyk. Mm-hmm. Um, Purdy makes a hell of a play to even throw it to him, but a fullback making a toe tap catch like that on the sideline. Whew. The thing of beauty, man. That, I don't feel like Kyle Juszczyk gets enough love. Um, that guy, that guy's a beast, man. That's why he's always on the pro bowl, all pro for fullbacks. Cause that guy just does everything for that team. And of course, because there's like, Three fullbacks in the league. Can we can we please get rid of the fullback position for the Pro Bowl? If you want to put new shaking as a tight end or something, fine. But we got to stop doing this. It's time to catch up to to the times. Nobody uses a fullback. Stop that. Getting into this game, like you said, I think we agree with the bottom line, or at least the headline, which is Detroit blew this probably more than San Francisco won this. But um. I do have kind of a different perspective as far as what caused Detroit to blow this. I'm going to put a little less blame on Dan Campbell here, more blame on the players. Uh, But getting into how this game started off, like you said, uh, the Jamison Williams score early. Detroit went right down the field. It took them four plays to go 75 yards on their opening drive. Three of those four plays were running plays. Todd Munkin, take notes, please. So 
quickly the Lions are out to a 7-0 lead in no time. We talked about the Moody miss. That came on the 49ers' first possession, so everything is breaking Detroit's way early. Uh, on that first drive, Aiden Hutchinson actually batted down two passes, so he was ready to play early. The Detroit offense was ready to play early. It felt like, as, as somebody who picked the 49ers, I felt like it was going to be 0-2 on my conference championship picks with the way this game started. So Detroit's already up 7-0. They get the ball back after the Moody miss. They go right down the field again. <clears throat> and next thing you know, they're up 14-0 in the first quarter. Uh, something I did not see coming for certain. Uh, San Francisco kind of regained some composure after that. Um, what's the best way for the 49ers to do that? Give the ball to the guy who I continue to say should be the MVP this year, Christian McCaffrey. Uh, the 49ers score a touchdown on a drive where McCaffrey gets 43 of the team's 75 yards. He scores the touchdown. He has a 28-yard catch where he gets away from Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, and when you can make the most important position of football play, making safety miss you, big plays come. You make Gardner-Johnson miss you, you already know that's going to be a big play, and that was the play to really spark this into a touchdown drive for the 49ers. So you know, the Lions have to give the ball up. It looks like all of a sudden now all the momentum, as you like to talk about Patrick, is back with the 49ers. And that's when the Purdy interception happens. Give credit to Josh Pascal. He's not going to be showing up in the stats on this play, but he hit Purdy's arm on that interception. Uh, it didn't look like it was going to be a good throw anyway, but uh, hitting Purdy's arm caused that ball to flutter, come up short. Uh, and Malcolm Rodriguez, give him credit for making the interception. Yes, it's an easy play, but we've seen easy interceptions get dropped. <laughs> uh, certainly the 49ers have seen easy interceptions be dropped uh, from their from their defense in years past in big games. So, you know, you can't take it for granted that a defender is going to catch the ball. Malcolm Rodriguez was only in the game because Derek Barnes actually suffered an injury earlier in the game. So uh, waited for him to come off the bench and be ready. Detroit takes advantage of that turnover. They get an explosive touchdown run from Jameer Gibbs. That was the third rushing touchdown of the half for the Lions. Todd Munkin, take notes. The Lions ran the football with different players, ran it different ways, but they ran the football, and they had a lead as a result. So Lions, now up 21-7, have an opportunity. They actually convert a third and 18 uh, with a 23-yard pass to Amon Ross St. Brown. That gets them in position to potentially score a touchdown and go up 28-7. But Jared Goff misses what should have been a touchdown pass to Jameer Gibbs on a post route. And to me, when we talk about why the Lions lost this game, it's a play like that that gets forgotten. You should have had a touchdown. Jameer Gibbs is wide open. Goff misses him badly. And now you have to settle for a field goal. In that moment, it might not seem like a huge deal, but 28-7 is a lot nicer than 24-7, especially when you get to this time of year. That said, you're Detroit. You're still up 17 at the half. You'd like to think you can protect that lead. Like I said, Patrick, the 49ers get a field goal on the opening drive. Um, thanks in large part to Jawan Jennings making a crazy catch one-handed in the middle of the field on a crazy throw by Brock Purdy, just an all-around crazy play. That set up a field goal. So then, like you said, 24-10, Detroit gets the ball back. They have a chance at a 46-yard field goal. They pass. They go for the fourth down. That's where the Josh Reynolds drop happens. I think golf put that ball in the right spot, low and away from the defender. That is a catch you have to make if you're Josh Reynolds. You got two hands on the football. 
catch the ball. That's the same kind of throw that somebody like Tom Brady would have made, but his underrated receivers, those Julian Edelman, Wes Walker, Deion Branch type of receivers, they catch that ball. Josh Reynolds, who I like, doesn't catch that ball. So I'm blaming him. You know, and this is going back to, you know, going back to the end of the regular season with the Colts and the Texans. We said the same thing. Great play call. You got somebody open. You got a good look. Guy doesn't catch the ball. And to your point, Patrick, Alan Ross St. Brown, Sam LaPorta, heck, Jameer Gibbs. There are other guys that you will think you would want to go to before Reynolds. That said, Reynolds normally is a pretty, pretty uh, good hands kind of receiver. So somebody who is usually reliable in catching the football, just bad moment in a bad day. So you missed that. Then, like you said, to me, Kendall Vildor is as much to blame as anybody because you cannot, especially after your team, they just missed a fourth down that he should have had. They need the defense to pick him up. You have the chance to do it. And you not only don't come up with an interception on a ball that goes through your hands and hits you in the face, you enable a horrendous pass from Brock Purdy to turn into a 51-yard gain, and now Brock Purdy looks like a hero thanks to you and your face mask and your lack of hands. We see why you play defense. So Vilder's best up gives the 49ers a touchdown. Again, that, that's not coaching. That's a corner being in position to make the play and then not just not making the play. It's one thing to just drop the pass. If you drop the pass and it hits the ground, that's one thing. But you pop it up into the air with your face. You give Ayuk a chance to get it. That's, it's a great play by Ayuk, but it's a play that Ayuk should have never had an opportunity to make. So as far as my culprits, Josh Reynolds and Kendall Vildor, they're way more culpable in this game than Dan Campbell is for me. So now it's 24-17, even though you should have had a stop there defensively. So now we need the offense to pick the defense up. And what happens? That's when the Jameer Gibbs fumble happens. Who forces that fumble? To Sean Gibson Sr. What position does he play? I'm glad you asked. Safety, the most important position in football, playmaking safety. When your safeties come through, you see the results. If you're going to come back in the postseason from being down 17, probably somewhere along the way, your safety is going to make a big play. He has to. So Gibson makes the big play, forces the turnover, gives his offense the ball back with the short field. Bam, we got a tie game. We got another Christian McCaffrey touchdown set up by a nice run by Brock Purdy. And in 12 minutes, the Lions' 17-point lead is gone. And so when you go in the half up 24-7 and you can't even maintain that lead through the third quarter, you know you're probably in trouble to Patrick's point about momentum. So now Detroit gets the ball back. We're in a tie game. Third and 10, another Josh Reynolds drop. So again, this is a, this is a man who, who blew two possessions for you in a game that was a one-possession game ultimately. So again, Josh Reynolds is right at the top of my list as far as people to blame for this loss for Detroit. Uh, Jake Moody goes back and hits a field goal. So now the 49ers up three. Lions get the ball back. And this is when, like I said, Dan Campbell goes for fourth down for a second time or fourth and three. He could have kicked a 48-yard field goal, decides against it. I don't know what this play call was. It took too long to develop for, for a three-yard play. For fourth and 13, I understand. Fourth and three, we need something quick hitting. So Eric Armstead, Armstead is able to beat his block. Chase Young starts to get off his block. 
And all of a sudden, Jared Goff, who is not known for mobility, is flushed out of the pocket, and bad things happen from there. Now he just has to throw the ball in the middle of the field and hope for something, and nothing comes through. So I didn't like the call. I was okay with the decision, actually. Just didn't like the call. It was just too, too much time to, to, for that play to develop. And then the 49ers go for a touchdown on the next drive. Brock Purdy and Christian McCaffrey on back-to-back plays, pick up 46 yards, running the football. Todd Munkin, take notes, run the ball. So thanks to the legs of Purdy and McCaffrey, Elijah Mitchell scores the touchdown, but again, Purdy and McCaffrey made that drive happen. And now the 49ers are up 10. Brock Purdy, by the way, 51 rushing yards in this game, all in the second half. If you've only watched Brock Purdy in the NFL, that might surprise you. If you watched him at Iowa State, you know he can do this, and I, too, would like to see him do it more often since it's in his bag. Then there was another play. Again, the, the missed opportunity to throw a touchdown pass to Jameer Gibbs was one play I think is overlooked that shouldn't be. The other play in this game that should not be overlooked, with a minute 16 left, Lions have all three timeouts. They're down 10. They need to get in the end zone, but they need to score. They don't necessarily need to get in the end zone, but they need to score. Anthony Ferkser catches the ball on the left side. He is by himself. He looks like he's going to walk into the end zone. Apparently, Anthony Ferkser is the slowest player in the league, so he takes a long time to go five yards. And Jair Brown, again, playing the most important position in football, playmaking safety, tackles Ferkser or forces him out of bounds at the one-yard line. If not for the play Jair Brown makes there, again, it does not show up as anything special on the stat sheet. If Jair Brown does not make that play, Detroit scores with a minute 16 left and has all three timeouts, which means they don't have to try an onside kick. Jair Brown makes that tackle a couple plays later. David Montgomery gets stopped in the field of play. Now Detroit has to burn a timeout that they would not have had to burn had Jair Brown not made the play two plays before. That has to be noted in this game. So again, the team that got the big plays from their safeties, the 49ers, end up winning this game over the team that didn't get those big plays from their safeties in the Lions. That's how it goes. Uh, Credit to Nick Bosa for having a nice game. He had four quarterback kicks. Hits a couple of sacks in the first half, including very dismissive sack of Jared Goff. We just slung him to the ground. Uh, Debo Samuel, want to give him credit. Keep in mind, it was questionable whether or not he was going to play in this game. He hurt his shoulder last week. Uh, if you know Debo Samuel, you're not surprised. <laughs> if, if he's questionable, he's probably going to play. That's a tough guy. Uh, he ends up with 96 yards in this game, mostly in the second half. Uh, that's rushing and receiving combined. So he continues to be a big part of this offense with 11 total touches. Uh, again, coming off of that shoulder, and the 49ers needed him again specifically in the second half to spark the offense. And uh, Christian McCaffrey, can't say enough about him. He had 90 rushing yards and two touchdowns in this game. Uh, in both of the 49ers playoff games, he's had 90 rushing yards and two touchdowns. He also leads the 49ers in targets and receptions during the postseason. You cannot get more valuable offensively than Christian McCaffrey. It's a shame he won't win the MVP. I'm, I'm glad for Lamar Jackson that, that he's probably going to win it, but for me, Christian McCaffrey gets my vote for MVP this year. And I say as far as offensively, he is the primary reason the 49ers are going to the Super Bowl. We understand why John Lynch made that trade. Because Christian McCaffrey, definitely the missing piece uh, for this 49ers team. And he came through 
when they needed to, when they needed him to once again. So yes, the, the Lions blew this game. I put less of the blame on Dan Campbell. Again, both of those kicks we're talking about were well over 40 yards. Keep in mind, the Lions have Michael Badgley, the self-proclaimed money badger, as their kicker. This is a guy who they had kicking for them last year and didn't bring back to start this year. They picked him up towards the end of the season. It is clear to me that the Lions don't trust Michael Badgley. So do you want Badgley kicking a field goal from 48 yards away with the game on the line? Obviously, the Lions don't. So that's why I don't hold it against Dan Campbell as much. If we're talking about a team that has a Justin Tucker or has a Harrison Butker or somebody like a Young Waiku, guys that have been reliable more often than not, your guy Brandon Aubrey, if you have guys like that kicking and you pass on field goals, I feel worse about it. Michael Badgley, again, this is a, a guy that the Lions have given up on before. I'm going to guess that Michael Badgley will not be the Lions kicker next year. So I get why Dan Campbell did what he did. The other thing to consider is, you know, if you want Dan Campbell to stop doing this as far as being over-aggressive, that's something to fix in week eight. You can't get to the conference championship and all of a sudden change your stripes because then it looks like you're panicking. Ravens, okay, when you don't stick to your identity at this point in the season, you lose your players because it looks like you're panicking as a coach. So I get why Dan Campbell did what he what he did. Do I love the philosophy behind it? Not really. But he did what he's been doing all year. And again, the players didn't execute when they had chances. And that is what I'm looking at more than anything. I'll give the 49ers the credit they deserve. They made the plays in the second half when the Lions wouldn't. But again, for me, I am focusing on the Lions players more than I am the coach. But did Campbell decide to bring back Badgley? Because if so, you can't, you can't, you can't just say he's not responsible. You can't, you can't have a kicker that you don't believe in. Now, now that's a separate problem, and I'm <laughs> going to assume that that wasn't a Campbell decision. Um, I would imagine that the front office is making that decision on who the kicker is. And again, my thing is, if you wanted Michael Badgley, you would have brought him in to start the season. You certainly wouldn't have had somebody like Riley Patterson. It'd be, it'd be one thing if the Lions had drafted a kicker this year. Uh, you see the teams that drafted kickers this year, they all stuck with them no matter how bad they were throughout this year, including the 49ers who drafted a kicker. So it's one thing if you bring in a, a kicker that's that's new. They didn't do that. They brought in a retread in Riley Patterson, another guy other teams had quit on. So, you know, the Lions are going to have to find their kicker. If they had... Jason Hansen from, you know, a few years ago, maybe it's different, you know, even if they still had like Matt Grater, but they have kickers that they don't trust. And I think that's something that will be addressed going into the 2024 season. I agree with you. You can't have a kicker on your team that you don't trust, especially come a uh, playoff time. You, Cause there's always going to, there's going to be at least one time you need, you need that kicker. No question. <clears throat> All right, Julius, let's get into Super Bowl predictions. We know the matchup. Kansas City versus 49ers. It's a rematch of a few years ago. 49ers got off to a great start in that game, and the Chiefs came from behind uh, to get the win. So where are you going in this game? Who, who do you got? So let me just say for accountability's sake, I picked Buffalo to beat Kansas City. I picked 
Baltimore to beat Kansas City. Obviously, I was wrong both times. So here we are again. Kansas City going up against San Francisco. Here's my view on it. The reason, because you know, I hear people say all the time, you got nerve to pick against my homes. I never picked against my homes. I never said I'd take Josh Allen over him. I never said I'd take Lamar Jackson over. Never picked against my homes. I picked against Kansas City's receivers, including Travis Kelsey, because all year long, all of them, including Kelsey, could not catch the football. And so that was my big issue. Looking at what they've done in the postseason, now granted, they're just coming off of a half where they didn't score, but in the big moments, Travis Kelsey is catching the football. In the big moments, Barquez Valdez Scantling is catching the football. Rasheed Rice, he's been the, the most consistent as far as throughout the whole season at catching the football. He's continuing to do his thing there. When you look at the 49ers defense, and this is a defense that you and I were very high on coming into the season. We talked about the 49ers and how on paper, top to bottom, this is probably the best roster in the league. So when somebody like Cam Newton says Brock Purdy is barely top 10 as, as far as players on this team, yeah, because the roster is that good. It's not an insult at all for this team. That said, this defensive line can get pushed around a little bit, especially outside of Nick Bosa. That's a bit of a surprise for me, but we've seen it happen. We saw the Lions be able to run through this team. We saw Aaron Jones have good moments against this team and then some. We've seen this 49ers defense look a little vulnerable. We also understand this 49ers defense is missing Tyler Noah Hufanga, an all-pro performer at the most important position in football, playmaking safety. That may catch up to them in this game. So considering that Kansas City is catching the football, considering that the Chiefs' defense is playing better than pretty much any defense we've seen, particularly in the second halves of games in the postseason in recent memory, you give a guy like Patrick Mahomes, guys who are going to catch the ball, enough of a running game with Isaiah Pacheco, and a defense who has been playing lights-out football, I'm not going to make the same mistake three times. I've got to go with the Kansas City Chiefs in this game. I think they will find a way to exploit a 49ers defense that, to me, is underperforming right now. And I'm thinking somewhere along the lines of a 27-20 kind of win for the Chiefs in this one. Man, I like when we go different teams. Um, I, almost went Kansas I, City, I almost went Kansas City last week. Uh, stuck with my guns because I had Baltimore from the beginning. Um, I just don't trust Kyle Shanahan in the Super Bowl. I mean, we've seen it with Atlanta. We saw it when they played Kansas City the first time. Um, I don't know why, man. I'm I'm going with Kansas City. I mean, I know why I'm going with Kansas. I'm just I don't know. Kyle Shanahan and the Super Bowl seem to seem to be at odds with each other. So, um, I'm gonna go with Kansas City. I see the writing, and, and I've been saying this for weeks now, Joyce. I see the writing in the stars. Confetti falling. Travis Kelsey proposing to Taylor Swift. Um, somehow Kelsey getting Super Bowl MVP. So maybe if he doesn't propose on the field, he can propose at Disney World uh, with Mickey and Minnie. So I just see, I just see Disney wanting to make money off of them. I see NFL wanting to make money off of them. So I just have Kansas City winning this game. Um, 
I think Mahomes, you know, keeps writing his name in the in the history book. Um, Kelsey, obviously, can't talk about him without talking about being the greatest tight end of all time. Um, I know a lot of people have Gronk or Gonzalez, uh, you know, some of those guys on, on their lists, but um, Travis Kelsey has to be up there um, when you start talking about greatest tight ends of all time. So, um, and he's playing like it in the playoffs. He did have a little rough patch at the end of the season. They didn't play week 18 uh, for him to miss his eighth straight 1,000-yard uh, to already add on to his record of a thousand yards receiving for a tight end. Um, he just missed out on his eighth season of doing that. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. 49ers defense, which we are normally used to seeing, uh, dominate. Uh, they do have injuries on that side of the ball, uh, have been, uh, you know, underperforming. And as we talked about, you know, there was a lot of things that broke the 49ers way in that second half for them to even beat Detroit. I don't see Kansas City getting away from a game plan if it's working. So even if that's Pacheco running, we saw them run him against Baltimore even when it wasn't working. So uh, I don't see Andy Reid panicking, changing the game plan uh, as long as they're within striking distance. Harrison Bucker, as we've seen, has been almost automatic when it comes playoff time. Uh, And this this Chiefs defense, man, they've been been lights out all season. Um, And so I just think they're going to continue to do that. And and I just trust in Mahomes, man. You you have to after everything he's done in his in his short career. We've been it's been lucky for us to be able to watch it. Um, so I'm just I'm riding with Mahomes and Reed to get it done again, and have our first back to back champs since what, Julius? Since uh, the Patriots. Yep. So yeah, just another feather in Mahomes' cap to try to be more like Brady. I feel like Mahomes is uh, we when Kobe was playing and LeBron. Obviously, we always had the. Will they catch Michael Jordan debates? I think we're going to start having the Mahomes. Will he catch Tom Brady debates soon? So I think this will just be another thing to add to his uh, resume and being a back-to-back champ. So I'm going with the Chiefs. I don't think we'll have a a Mahomes catching Brady conversation, at least not with rinks. Maybe in the all-time legacy. I think that conversation can start if Mahomes wins on Sunday. But I'm going to say that Mahomes doesn't challenge the seven rinks. I'm, I'm just... That's just a guess for me. We'll see in ten years. Oh, I meant goat because that's the conversation. Okay, gotcha, I was I was gotcha. trying to I was trying to you know make a parallel to NBA how there's always gotcha. goat goat talks. So I was saying I think it, when he wins on if he wins on Sunday, now he has the back to back championships which they can compare to Brady. Now that he has right, right. Blah, blah, I just I think the goat conversations will start heating up uh, again, especially. If he keeps playing the way he's been playing, you know, the first six years. And he's only 28, people. He's only 28. So um, you assume he has at least 10 more years in him as a quarterback, right? So uh, we'll see if he can stay injury-free throughout his career, uh, which it's hard to do. Um, and besides that one bad leg leg injury, Tom Brady pretty much stayed injury-free for his entire career. So um, right. we'll see if uh, Mahomes can do the same thing because – it's going to be hard to catch Brady with a lot of things for just how long he played and how well he played on all those teams. So, But I think if uh, Mahomes goes back-to-back, I think we'll, you'll start hearing more of those GOAT conversations pop up. I agree with that 100%. And to your point, I believe that Mahomes is going to be the first quarterback to start four Super Bowls before turning 30. So, And that's despite the fact he didn't start his first season. So... Yeah, I agree with you fully that the GOAT conversation will take on another level if the Chiefs do win on Sunday. What's up? Our breakdown of the conference championships and our Super Bowl predictions. 
Let us know what you think. In the meantime, we'll get into what's happening around sports. And staying in the NFL for now, uh, we have all head coach positions now filled in the NFL. Uh, so to kind of recap uh, all the changes we've seen, we saw the Chargers make arguably the biggest splash going and getting Jim Harbaugh. Uh, the Panthers, they go get Dave Canales, former Buccaneers offensive coordinator. And what warms my heart is that the rest of the hires, shocking to me, have been defensive. Now, keep in mind, Tennessee, they, they got um, Cincinnati's old offensive coordinator, so they went offensive. But the Falcons with Raheem Morris, the Seahawks with Mike McDonald, the Commanders with Dan Quinn, and, of course, a couple of in-house moves, the Raiders with Antonio Pierce and the Patriots with Gerard Mayo, all defensive guys. So I, I love to see this. Uh, just because, you know, I'm tired of everything being so geared to the offense. And I thought that we'd see more offensive minds. I'm not surprised that nobody hired Belichick. I'm not surprised that nobody hired Vrabel. I think people are getting away from that, that um, kind of authoritarian kind of deal, that disciplinarian kind of, we run it tight, we run this ship, and we do it the old school way. I think teams are moving away from that because these players are moving away from that mentality. Uh, but to see these defensive hires, uh, it just, just feels good for me to see. Uh, of course, now, going back to the Chargers with Jim Harbaugh, the expectations are once again through the roof for Justin Herbert. There are people saying that he's the sole reason Jim Harbaugh took this job. And my thing is, you know, at, at what point, because the Chargers also have a high draft pick, and a lot of people think they're going to take Brock Bowers, at what point do we start holding Justin Herbert accountable? You know, we say it's a failed season for Lamar Jackson because he didn't get to the Super Bowl. You know, other other quarterbacks, you know, Jalen Hurts got to the Super Bowl last year. We're still saying, oh, he failed this year or he got exposed this year. Justin Herbert, we're still waiting for him to win a playoff game. Okay, the same conversations that folks are having about Jim Harbaugh, they had those same conversations last year about Kellen Moore. Oh, God, let's wait till you see Justin Herbert with a, a coordinator who was a play caller for the number one offense. Yeah, we saw that. It went nowhere. So, again... I want the excuses to be out the window. So I'm glad Staley's out because everybody would blame him. I'm glad Harbaugh is in because everybody respects him. He's been to a Super Bowl. He's obviously fresh off of a college national championship. So I need the excuses to stop at some point. And Harbaugh's the guy to at least make those excuses stop because I don't think people are going to blame the one-time Chargers quarterback, Jim Harbaugh. Uh, Dave Canales, I would say I didn't necessarily see this move coming. Um, he did get a lot of credit, but credit was kind of pushed around as far as who was mostly responsible for Baker Mayfield kind of having this bounce back season. Uh, a lot of people talked about Thad Lewis, a former, briefly a former NFL quarterback who, you know, had was in Baker Mayfield's ear. Uh, but apparently the Panthers look at it and say Canales is the guy. So they bring him in. Uh, the Panthers have a defensive coordinator who is, allegedly a popular head coaching candidate, but he never, he gets a lot of interviews, uh, Ivero does, but uh, hasn't got a, hasn't landed a spot. Canales said he loves that Ivero staying, so uh, good for them, I guess, but Canales is kind of the name out of nowhere for me. Raheem Morris, that was a kind of another surprise for me. I didn't necessarily think Morris would get another opportunity this quickly. I definitely thought the Falcons, given all that young talent on offense that they wasted last year, I thought the Falcons as much as anybody would be interested in an offensive mind, but they go defense with Morris. I'm still waiting to see 
what the solution is to get the ball in the hands of the guys who can score for the Falcons. But I do like Morris as a person, so I'm glad for him. Uh, Mike McDonald, you could see this coming from a mile away that he was not going to be the coordinator uh, for the Ravens uh, just based on how well the defense was this year. He was going to get a job. Uh, he lands with Seattle. So we'll see if he can kind of bring that influence with him and kind of get that Seahawks defense, which has some pieces, but still need, need some work there. They're kind of rebuilding the Legion of Doom, so to speak, but the Legion of Boom. But uh, McDonald's going to have some more parts he needs to put in on that defense. But, you know, with the Ravens having the type of year defensively they had, you knew that uh, coaching staff was going to be rated. So it's not just Mike McDonald, but they also lose their defensive back coach, uh, Denard Wilson. He goes to Tennessee for a coordinator position. Uh, Anthony Weaver also out uh, as he's going to Miami for their coordinator position. So uh, the Ravens able to maintain Zach or former Ravens linebacker as their new defensive coordinator. And uh, people around the league are very high on Zach or so good for them. Uh, Dan Quinn to the commanders, you know, there's a lot of talk here about Ben Johnson going here and there's kind of a complete 360 there from Ben Johnson, the, the new hot young offensive mind to Dan Quinn, a guy who's been there, done it as a head coach, and he's a defensive guy. Uh, but uh, Dan Quinn's going to bring bring Cliff Kingsbury on board to be his offensive coordinator. And, of course, people are going to connect the dots immediately to Caleb Williams. I can't blame him. Washington in a position to make that happen. So uh, we'll see what Quinn and Kingsbury do at that number two spot. Uh, that just got a little more interesting. Uh, the Raiders, we've talked about Antonio Pierce before. Luke Getze gets the offensive coordinator position. That does not excite me. Uh, as somebody who has watched the Bears offense and not live up to its potential as far as I'm concerned. So I'm a bit concerned about that move and don't understand why the Raiders were uh, so high on him. But, you know, maybe there's something in there that that'll surprise me. Who knows? And um, again, just one more shout out to Gerard Mayo for getting that uh, job with the Patriots. Um, it's got obviously big shoes to fill and not much of a roster to work with. But um, just hope for the best is all I can say for him. But I'm just happy to see these defensive guys get a chance for once. It's not all about the offense and the offensive guys getting all the shine. I knew you'd be excited about uh, these defensive guys getting hired. Um, Packers fans should be ecstatic that uh, Barry went to the Dolphins. Um, one move, one move that I don't like is Ben McAdoo getting hired to the pay. Ben McAdoo's trash. Listen, he was the head coach for the Giants. I remember Ben McAdoo. He cost Eli his start streak. I will never forgive him for that. Don't get me wrong. The Giants needed to have a black starting quarterback. They were the last team to do it in the NFL, if I remember correctly, whenever they had Geno Smith start. But to bench Eli when he had a streak that could have... Because then they started him next year. Pissed me off. It made no sense. If you're going to do that, you got to move on from him. You can't start him for two more years after that. Um, he could have called Brett Favre streak, so that's what pissed me off the most about it. Um, so F. Ben McAdoo, don't know how he still has jobs. He's trash. Uh, but, yeah, I'm not going to go over all the same things you went with. I think Harbaugh going to the Chargers is one of the biggest, and probably Kellen Moore going to the Eagles is also probably big, um, two of the bigger hirings. Uh, love that Raheem Morris is back in Atlanta. Um, hopefully... He can that defense. You were really high on them, so with Raheem Morris there, uh, watch out, right? And yep. hopefully they can get yep. an offensive coordinator that will 
I feel like their offensive coordinator will do this, Julius, but, you know, maybe get Kyle Pitts in London and B. John Robinson the ball. I feel like... Please, please. I feel like they could hire me at offensive coordinator, and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll do that. I'll just pull out my Madden playbook and be like, where are they lining up at? This is what we're doing, y'all. Mesh, mesh. Uh, X, X, Z spot. So, you know, and anyway, but... Um, yeah, so I'm not going to go over all the hirings like you said, but yeah, I think... Harbaugh to the Bolts. He had his little LeBron and D Wade moment saying they're going to get multiple titles. Um, you know, he added a mentor as the DC from Michigan. Um, so saying that they're eyeing Greg Roman as the offensive coordinator. So that's interesting, to, you know, to me. Uh, so we'll yeah. see how that works out. But um, Harbaugh going to the Chargers, uh, I guess, like you, I'm with you. Herbert has no more excuses. So we'll see uh, what happens there. But. I like a lot of the hires. Uh, I think we saw the Harbaugh hiring. I didn't, not to the Chargers, but we saw Harbaugh coming back to the NFL, and, and the Chargers is one of the best gigs you can get on paper. We talk about that every postseason and preseason, it seems, Julius, that on paper the Chargers have a good team, uh, and they've underperformed, especially with Staley there. So we'll see what Harbaugh can do. Um, going into the, the, the division with the Chiefs, though, so you know it's never easy when you got uh, – Patrick Mahomes in your conference, so in your division. Um, moving on to the NBA, Julius, because um, I'm not talking about the Pro Bowl. Moving on to the NBA, no, no, no forget that. <laughs> um, yeah, the NFL needs to figure something out, man. I, I'm I'm old school. You know, I liked seeing Sean Taylor play hard and hitting the punter and things like that. I, I I'm used to. The, I wanted back in Hawaii. I wanted after the Super Bowl. Um, and bring back the skills challenge, man. I liked. I, I personally enjoyed the forty-yard dash and the bench press and and the, the long ball throw. I liked all that stuff, man. I, I I was into all that. Was that was fun? Those were good times back then. Um, I don't need to see NFL players hitting golf balls. I don't need to see them playing dodgeball. I mean, I, I, it might be fun for the players, and, and if that's what they want to do, great. But I think it should go back to Hawaii. It should be after the Super Bowl. Um, that that that's that was when it was the best to me. Uh, agree fully. Uh, Hawaii, if you've ever been there, they got big time football fans. And so I, I'd love to see them get football back there, NFL football back there. And, you know, even if it's just for an exhibition game. And yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, the players look like they're having fun, so it's not going to go anywhere, I'm sure. But two things to consider here. One, I don't want to watch grown men ha- basically going out to recess. That's what that's what this has become. This, this has become P.E. for grown men. I, I don't need to see them, like you said, playing dodgeball and doing trick catches and stuff like that. No, I, I don't. I don't need to see any of that. Uh, the other thing to consider is, even with you now taking basically all the hitting, all the physicality out of the game and making it so you basically can't get hurt in the Pro Bowl, you still aren't attracting any of the players. It's still a volunteer event. There is no reason why Gardner Minshew should be a Pro Bowl. Okay, <laughs> it's better than Tyler Huntley being a Pro Bowler last year for crying out loud. But this has become anybody who wants to be a Pro Bowler, just raise your hand and you're in. You know, and if you're if you're going to have these games and you're not going to have Lamar Jackson, you're not going to have Josh Allen. And again, this this is the players making these decisions. I want to be clear about that. But if these guys aren't going to show up, if the games still mean nothing to them, then why are we continuing to do this? I don't want to see. Again, I don't want to see a, a flag football game at all featuring NFL players, but I definitely don't want to see it featuring guys who are more backups just because nobody else wants to do it. So there's a lot that needs to be fixed. 
and we saw how Gardner Minshew performed in the precision passing <laughs> game. So, um, <laughs> shout out to Baker for winning that, though. Good job, Baker. Um, yep. Beat all the active quarterbacks. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to the NBA, I know you want to talk about some injuries that are going to affect the MVP races. So, we see that 65 game mm-hmm. rule coming into play already. Um, which I knew Embiid had to get MVP last year because I didn't think he would make that new rule. I don't think he's played 65 games ever. So, um, but, uh, yeah, I just want to talk about, I got to blow the whistle on the NBA for making Doc Rivers the head coach for the All-Star game. What are we doing? That's that's all I got to ask. What are, what are we doing? They're not even the number one team in the East. So I just, I'm very confused to how this even happened. Um Cavaliers just passed them, so they're third in the East. So again, doesn't doesn't even make any sense. The Knicks are a half game back from them, so I just don't get it, Julius. I'm blowing the whistle on the NBA. Uh, makes no sense. Um, but shout out to our guy uh, Shy and the Oklahoma City Thunder being first in the West. Let's talk about that again. They are first in the West, Julius. And the Clippers, ever since the Harden trade, have started to find their groove and have moved into second. And Minnesota is coming back down to earth after their hot start. Um, And they are in third, and they're tied with the Nuggets currently. They have the same record. So technically they're third, fourth. But um, the Timberwolves are starting to come back down to earth and will probably end up around the fifth or sixth seed by the end of the season. Um, But, uh, yeah, man, I I just don't understand how Doc Rivers got the head coaching for the All-Star game unless uh, the Celtics head coach uh, turned it down. I don't get it. Don't know how Doc Rivers hasn't wasn't even hasn't even been a head coach for a week whenever they made the announcement. So I just don't get it. Um, maybe someone else can explain that to me, but uh, I'm just not understanding how that's even possible. So anyway, I know that you want to talk about these injuries, um, but I'm excited that the trade deadline uh, is coming up, and hopefully um, we get some. We get some uh, good trades at the end of the deadline like we did last year. So I'm looking forward to that. Just a couple of comments real quick. Embiid did hit 65 games last year. So that that rule didn't impact the MVP race. He barely did, but Giannis and Jokic barely did as well. So all of them played under 70, but all of them played 65. Make it it 70. Yeah, 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 yeah. It'd be, it'd be really interesting if they did make it 70. It'd be like like Jalen Brunson would win the MVP at that point. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing, uh, just real quick, I do believe, and I, I would have to look this up, but I do believe that you're not, quote, supposed to coach the All-Star game back-to-back years. I may be wrong on that, but I feel like that's a rule somewhere. So if Joe Mazzulla... Boston's head coach was the head coach in the All-Star game last year. He wouldn't be eligible this year, even though Boston's in first again. That's what I think the rule is. Uh, okay. That said, under no circumstances should Doc Rivers be the coach of the All-Star team at all. Under no circumstances. This man was commentating games two weeks ago. No. So to me, it should have defaulted to, if you're going to fire the guy that should have because Adrian Griffin should be the head coach of the Eastern All-Stars. But since you wanted to fire him, why not make it J.B. Bickerstaff since Cleveland's the next team in line? You know, that's where I would go. To me, if, if, if you're going to say you need to play 65 games to be eligible for an MVP or for an All-Pro selection, maybe you need to coach more than 10 games to be eligible for the All-Star game. 
with that out the way, like I said, wanted to go over a couple of injury updates. Of course, the obvious one, Joel Embiid, uh, dealing with some type of meniscus issue. I think it's been going on for a while, but it got exacerbated when uh, Jonathan Kaminga fell on his knee. Uh, so now we, we know that Embiid has undergone a meniscus procedure, whatever that means. Sounds like surgery to me, but apparently they don't want to use that word. B is going to be out four weeks. When you look at what that means for the Sixers, they are in fifth right now. And they are three games in front of the Pacers for the sixth seed. The Sixers coming into tonight are 4-11 and 11 without Joel Embiid. So you're going to have to be better than that uh, to survive the next month at least. And then, you know, of course, when Embiid comes back, this is, this is a guy who's called the process for a reason, or at least used to be called that. What does it look like when Embiid comes back? Are we load managing? Are we going back to, you know, he can't play more than 25 minutes or he can't play in back-to-backs or anything like that? Do we have to deal with all of that? So this is not a situation where you can just say, okay, in a month, Joel Embiid is going to be hitting the ground running again. So I'm, I'm very concerned uh, for the Philadelphia 76ers at this point because they need Embiid and they're not going to have him. And, of course, this has been the concern with Embiid uh, throughout his entire career. So uh, the Sixers are in trouble. You talked about some of those teams in the East. You talked about the Cavaliers emerging. Keep in mind, the Cavaliers are really just starting to get healthy. Uh, they're just getting Darius Garland back from his latest injury. Uh, Donovan Mitchell has missed some time. Evan Mobley uh, just recently came back from missing several weeks. Karis LeVert's been in and out of the lineup. They, they've had... Some guys missing, and Cleveland's still been up there. So they're only going to get healthier, hopefully, moving forward. And, of course, the Knicks have been able to maintain without Julius Randle, thanks to Jalen Brunson, who was a Eastern Conference Player of the Month. Uh, for all you people who said Luca had no help, uh, Jalen Brunson taking that honor. So the Knicks are staying afloat, even being shorthanded there. And, of course, being shorthanded even recently, they've missed Mitchell Robinson. They've been without OG Ananobi. But these teams are staying ahead of Philadelphia, and I don't see Philadelphia catching any of them. I'm concerned that by the time they beat back, we, we are going to be talking about the 76ers in a play-in conversation, uh, which is not something I would have thought just a month or so ago. Uh, the other injury to discuss is Zach Levine. Uh, he's been out for a while with a foot issue. He's decided to get foot surgery, so he's going to be out four to six months. Uh, easy math to say that his season's over. Uh, he will only have played 25 games this season. So, uh, yeah, forget 65. Even if the, even if uh, for All-Pro and everything was 40 games, you would talk about a couple of guys that <laughs> might not be eligible. But uh, Zach Levine, uh, subject of a lot of trade rumors. I mean, I feel like the Internet has traded Zach Levine to the Lakers every year since 2020, and it hasn't happened. But uh, this year, Levine, again, was a hot name in trades. As, you know, the Bulls aren't going anywhere once again. But you look at Levine's production this year, 19.5 points per game, shooting a tad under 35% from three. Uh, for some players, it's not bad. But for Levine, that's the lowest in both of those categories he's had over the last six seasons. So a, a down season for Levine now finishes on a down note. And again, in a couple of days, you're going to have to trade deadline. Zach Levine's name would have been a, a name even while he was injured, would, would have been a name that would have been High on some list, but uh, that has been taken out of the equation. So be interesting to see what Thursday brings for the NBA trade deadline. Yeah, I expect um, 
you know, I don't think the Bulls are going to move from Caruso or DeMar DeRozan now with Levine being out. Um, those are probably the only two guys, DeRozan and Caruso, who probably have um, trade value as in, like, getting a lot back. You know, maybe they get Drummond to, to out of there, but I just don't think you're going to get much back for Drummond. Um, no. A team that I think is going to be really aggressive is is the Mavericks. And they were with getting Kyrie uh, last year, mm-hmm. and I think they're going to try and move on from Grant Williams. I just don't think he's been a great fit. Uh, since coming over um and a team that i think i thought was the wizards i think were hoping that jordan Poole would play a lot better before the trade (laughs) deadline this year i think their whole plan was to try to offload them and get some picks so maybe they try to move kuzma just because he's been playing better than Poole. uh uh you know we know we said that the Hornets should be trading everybody so maybe they trade pj washington uh, but I would look for the Mavericks to try to make a quote-unquote splash uh, and, and before the trade deadline just because if you look at their roster and you look at the, the teams in the West, I don't even think they're a top four or five team in the West, Julia. So uh, they're going to need to do something to move that needle. Um, you know, you hear about the Lakers every trade deadline. They don't have any assets, so I don't know what they're going to do to make a splash. So... Um, it will be. I don't think Clay Thompson will ever get traded just because he's going to have a statue outside of the Chase Center one day. But it is interesting what's happening in Golden State with Clay Thompson. So, um, but you know, there's a lot of bad teams on the East that probably want to get picks and offload some of their better players. So that's that's what I'm looking forward to seeing. And because the West is always, you know, tight tight race, um, we'll see we'll see what happens. But I was shocked the Grizzlies traded Stephen Adams to the Rockets um so we'll see we'll see what what that what that you know we'll see if Steven Adams gets some playing time um you know because they trade him for Oladipo who hasn't played in about two years so um Andrew Wiggins I think is also going to be on the move um but we'll see we'll see Golden State's not going to stay put because their their team they're just Steph is having a good season and and they're not even in the play-in game right now so i i think golden state has to make a move one way or another julius i don't think they can stay put yeah it'll be interesting to see what the warriors do like i said they want they're going to want to make a move but they they don't like giving their guys up so you know we'll see what that means we'll see if somebody like an andrew wiggins does get moved um three players i'm keeping my eye on just to see what will happen uh one malcolm brogdon uh, he just doesn't make sense in Portland right now. Uh, that team is undergoing a, a youth movement. So Malcolm Brogdon, and to a lesser extent, Jeremy Grant, those are a couple of names where I think the, the Blazers need to find a way to move on and just kind of fully embrace the youth movement. I think Brogdon's presence has been good as kind of a mentor for somebody like Sterling Henderson. Uh, but the, the Blazers have a lot of young guards that they can – just give playing time to uh, Shadon Sharp is going to be looks like he's going to be out for the year at this point with a core muscle issue. But uh, between Henderson and Anthony Simons, I just think you just let them loose the rest of the year. I uh, get Brogdon out of there again. If somebody's looking for Jeremy Grant, an athletic kind of combo forward uh, who can block shots and score, he's up and down score, but he, he can score in bunches at times. So those are a couple guys. Uh, going over to the Pistons, uh, Boyan Bogdanovich. I'm, I'm surprised, frankly, that he's still a Piston right now. Uh, he's somebody who can give you a scoring punch off the bench. Um, I think he's been starting for Detroit, but uh, I think a contender would like to have him 
uh, be a floor spacer and somebody who can get uh, a few quick buckets off the bench. So I'm curious to see if a team goes after him. Uh, and the other player is Clint Capella. Uh, look at the Hawks. They're not they're not going to go anywhere. Um, at best, they're going to be like last year where they're fighting for a playing spot and you know their ceiling is losing in the first round. Uh, and they've got Onyeka Okongwu, so you know that's a player that they drafted very highly a few years ago and have never really gotten the chance to unleash. So it makes sense for the Hawks to move on from Capella. And when you look at some of these teams, they are missing bigs. And I understand that this is the small ball era. Uh, but when you look at a team like Golden State, when you look at it, you talked about the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, there's certainly a team that you would think uh, would look into upgrading at the center position. And Clint Capella, I mean, obviously he's a limited scorer, uh, but he's a, still an effective rim runner. He can still get you double-digit rebounds just about every night, still a solid rim protector. And he, he can finish on alley-oops on screen and rolls and stuff like that. So uh, those are some players that I'm looking at, and I am curious to see if anybody who's in contention makes a move for any of those guys. Yeah, Capella gets you 10-10 easy every night. So if you if you use him, he'll he'll get you 10-10 every night. So yeah, that's that's a that's a good call. We'll see. Atlanta should be selling everything that they can. So uh because, you know, the Quinn Snyder hire was so great for them, you know, getting Nate McMillan out <laughs> and Quinn Snyder's been so wonderful and changed that franchise around. That was sarcasm. That was sarcasm if y'all couldn't <laughs> tell. So um for me, Julius, uh, last thing I want to talk about since we haven't been on in, a, in about a week and a half uh, is the Australian Open in tennis. Uh, Djokovic goes down in the, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the mm. semis to a young um, Italian, Yannick Sinner, uh, who Djokovic, man, it's the first time I've watched him where he looked old. Um, he couldn't – I'm not saying Sinner didn't play good because he did, but Djokovic beat himself. He was – couldn't get uh, a serve back. His backhand was hitting the net, which you never see happen. He had a ton of unforced errors. Uh, center gets into the Australian Open uh, title game where he's down the first two sets. He was down 0-2. Ends up coming back to win it all, man, uh, against not a slouch in Medvedev, uh, who was the second seed of the tournament. So the youth movement is starting to take place in tennis. Um, you center now with a, with a Grand Slam. Uh, he's a Grand Slam champ. Uh, you got Alcaraz. Um, you have a bunch of young Americans who hopefully we don't have to wait, you know, 15 more years to see one of them win a Grand Slam. So I think I think Djokovic will come back uh, stronger uh, for the rest of this season. But uh, the Australian's his best tournament. Uh, the Australian is like Nadal's French for Djokovic. So um, to see him go down in the semis was was insane. Um, the way it happened was even more insane. Uh, so, uh, shout out to Yannick Center though, man. Uh, like I said, the, the youth movement starting to happen in tennis. It'll be cool to see if these guys can kind of stay at the top of their games. And, and w- I kind of want to see how the rest of the season works out for Djokovic because, again, it was it was weird to see him play like that. So, I want to see if that continues to some of these other um, tournaments that he's not the best at I'm, i don't want he's one of the goats so i don't want to say he's not good but australians is best so i want to see how he kind of finishes out uh this this season this year this tennis year yeah any, anytime you see uh djokovic go down it, it's it's wild but like you said for for years we knew that some combination of federer nadal djokovic djokovic would be 
uh, there, and now now we're getting to see some some new names. So I do think that's that's good from the sport, uh, good for the sport as they make that transition. I am going to get into a little baseball real quick. Uh, the Baltimore Orioles making news by acquiring Corbin Burns from the Milwaukee Brewers. Let's go. Uh, this trade, yes, yes. I, I love this trade for the Orioles. Uh, first and foremost, I'm looking at what they gave up because, you know, everybody knows that the Orioles have a, an incredibly deep farm system. Uh, credit to the new uh, front office that has gone in there and really built that up over the last about five years. They didn't give up anything that they really had big plans for. Uh, they give up Joey Ortiz, who's, you know, a, a nice infield prospect. But when you look at what the Orioles have covered in the infield, um, they've already had to get creative in order to find ways to get Gun Gunnar Henderson and uh, Jordan Westbrook up in there on a regular basis. And you still have Jackson Holiday coming up the pipe. So there's no space for Joey Ortiz. So you might as well get something valuable and include him because he, he, he just got squeezed out. It's not a knock on him. That's just how great the Orioles infield is looking like as far as their prospects are concerned. Keep in mind, this is a team that had a guy like Ramon Urias at third base who won a gold glove, and they had to move him because they have so much talent there. So, yeah, Joey Ortiz, no room for him. They also give up D.L. Hall. This is a name that I've heard for years uh, in, the, in the farm system for the Orioles as far as a guy who was supposed to kind of step up and eventually be a top-of-the-line starter for this team. Uh, injuries and other setbacks have kind of held him back. And he ended up basically being kind of a long reliever. But, you know, you can, you can find another one of those. And the Orioles have other guys who can serve that role. So, again, you're not giving up much to get Corbin Burns. And the Orioles did throw in the 34th pick, which, given their recent draft history, is, is a lot. But, you know, draft picks, are they're lottery picks. Corbin Burns, he's entering his age 29 season, last year of his contract. So, We'll see if the Orioles extend them, but even if it's just for one year. We saw what the Orioles did last year in the regular season. Uh, we saw them, of course, come up short in the postseason with a very young team. Uh, Corbin Burns gives them some more experience. Uh, you look at what Burns has done for the Brewers last year. You know, people are saying Burns is coming off of a down year. Well, a down year for Corbin Burns is a 3.4 ERA and 200 strikeouts. That's a career year for a lot of pitchers. So Burns becomes the top-of-the-line guy. He takes pressure off of guys like Kyle Bradish and Grayson Rodriguez at the top of that rotation. Um, you're talking about a guy who, again, with those down numbers, if you put him on Baltimore last year with those numbers, he'd have been number one on the team in strikeouts by a wide margin and number two on the team among starters in ERA. So this is a huge move for Baltimore, a low-risk move. I'd like to see them maybe extend Burns. We'll see how the season goes. But you're getting a motivated pitcher, a guy who – you know, going back to last year, there were trade rumors about Burns, so you kind of felt like his heart wasn't all the way in it last year. I think you're going to get a rejuvenated Corbin Burns. You're going to get a motivated Corbin Burns, somebody who's going to be out looking for that contract next year. I think this is a monster move for a team that was the best team in the American League throughout the regular season last year. This is a move the Orioles had to make. Um, there's also news that they're trading, that they're selling the team. So, thank uh, Snyder and Angelos in the same year. What's going to happen in Maryland? What is happening? <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, this is a move they need to make. Pitching uh, was the one thing that everyone was worried about come playoff time, and it came to bite them in the ass. Uh, they had injuries uh, in their bullpen as well. Um, so you know, 
hopefully, you know, I'm with you. It It is a one-year rental, essentially, but, hey, if you can go deep in the playoffs and potentially get to the pennant, you got you to gotta do it in the in Major League Baseball. So, yes. um to see the Orioles do this too, the Orioles never do anything like this in the post in the in the in the off season. So, no. <laughs> um, I like I like what the GM's doing. It was about time we got a new GM in there. And like you said, for the last few years they've been building the farm system up, which they never did. Um, and they let all their good players walk when they used to build them up. So, um, you know, hopefully that doesn't happen again. There's a lot of good young guys on the Orioles. So let's hope they can repeat what they did last year and and hopefully do better come playoff time but yeah you gotta love what's happening in baltimore um and last mlb news for me uh because even though spring spring train is about to start julius um uh kershaw signed a deal with the dodgers i think that's the right move for him go out as a dodger um you know he kind of deserved it so i'm not mad at that move at all by the dodgers not mad at that either uh it's too rare in today's sports that guys get to start and finish a career with with one team uh, Clayton Kershaw definitely deserves it. And when you look at some of the moves that the Dodgers are making in their rotation, they, they can afford to have, even if it is a lesser version of Clayton Kershaw, still there performing for that team. So it, it is nice to see uh, one more contract uh, associated news. Bobby Witt Jr., uh, the former number two overall pick. He gets about a $290 million extension with the Kansas City Royals. Speaking of teams that don't normally lock up their young players, uh, Bobby Witt Jr. staying with the Royals long-term, an 11-year deal. Uh, looks like he has opt-outs, I believe, after year seven of the deal. But uh, he's, he's locked in with the Royals. And uh, I'm, I'm one of these guys, I like to see young, talented guys stay with small market teams. I don't like to see a team like the Athletics basically serve as a farm system for everybody else. So to see uh, the Royals make that kind of commitment, to one of the absolute best young infielders. Beast. Great combination of speed and power. One of the more exciting young players in the sport. To see him stick around in Kansas City and make that commitment, I think that's good for the sport. Yeah, Bobby Witt is a junior is a beast. Um, Kansas City, not so much, but he's a beast. So <laughs> I'm glad they're locking him up. I'm with you. I, I hate that the A's have been trying to get out of Oakland and, and just have been tanking for the last however many years at this point. Um can go far as back as them drafting Kyler Murray when they knew he wasn't going to play baseball. So uh, <laughs> a very high pick. Well, yeah, just wasting picks. Um, <laughs> so good to see the Royals. I mean, the Royals, man. I mean, I mean, I now ish years, but they're they're not that far removed from world going to two World Series. So um, yep. it can happen, right? We saw the Reds once they brought up Ellie De La Cruz this season, kind of hit another gear with all their young guys and almost make the playoffs, like. It can happen in baseball. Um, baseball is one of those sports where if you get hot pitching or hot hitting at the right time, um, your team can really take off. So I like to see that too. Bobby Witt's a beast, and I know you're saying that because you want Carroll locked up, but um, you, yeah, want him, yes. you want him to <laughs> yes, stay with Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> so, but um, all right, I'm going to get into some NHL drillers because we haven't talked about that in a few months. Um, and I'm going to talk about our guys, the Oilers. Last time we were on yes. this, they were dead last in the, in, the, in the league. Yes, last place, Julius. And what do they do since we haven't talked about them? 16-game winning streak. Woo. And Zach Hyman, yeah, we don't talk about mm-hmm. him from this team, is leading the team in goals. Uh, usual suspect Connor McDavid has the most points. He has 20 goals and 47 assists. He's just an absolute stud. He's a beast. We know that. Um, but yeah, man, I'm pumped to see the Oilers just hit this crazy, 
uh, win streak. Um, again, we hadn't we hadn't talked hockey in a long time. We we probably talked about it. I don't know first month of the season in, and they were they were hurting. They were they were almost they were dead last in the entire NHL, and now man, they're right in the thick of it. They're probably gonna make the playoffs now. Sixteen game win streak is unheard of in the NHL because you can have ties, people, in the NHL. You can have shootout wins and losses, which don't count the same. And uh, Oilers have 16 straight Ws. That means they got more goals than the other team. Uh, that's tough to do. So, um, shout out to the Oilers for figuring out whatever was going wrong at the beginning of the season because, man, they have really turned uh, their season around, which makes me happy because it's uh, definitely more exciting uh, to watch when they're when they're in the postseason because um, they have some of the best talent on, on their team. So, um, shout out to them. Like I said, they turned their season around, man. 16-game win streak is unheard of in the NHL. Yes, sir. I'm, I'm happy for, of course, my guy, Leon Dreisaitl. But, yeah, like you said, we, when we talk Edmonton Oilers, we normally talk about the big two. Connor McDavid, the best player in the sport. Nobody even argues that. Uh, if, if, if he's active, he's leading the league in, in points. It's just that simple. But uh, I'm glad you brought up Zach Hyman because he is having a big season. And <clears throat> when you're kind of the other guy, for lack of a better term, uh, with a couple of superstars and you start to step your game up, uh, that takes the team as a whole to another level. Uh, the other thing with the Oilers, you know, I talk about how safety is the most important position in football because you're literally the last line of defense. To me, the most important position in North American sports is goalkeeper in the NHL. Because you are the last line of defense. We've seen teams that have been so-so be carried by top-level goaltenders, goalkeepers in the postseason. So that's an important position. So when you talk about what changed for Edmonton, one of the things that did change is at the beginning of the season, they had Jack Campbell at goal at goaltender. Yep. And he has been awful to the point where he is now in the hockey equivalent of the minor leagues, basically. This is after he just signed an extension. So... He was terrible, and you get off to a terrible start because of the importance of the position. It's cool that you can score three and four goals, but if your guy's giving up five, doesn't matter. Stuart Skinner deserves a shout-out here because he has come in, and he has been the polar opposite. And Skinner's not a new name, but he is having an outstanding season, and it feels like the moment they made the switch – to move on from Jack Campbell, not to be confused with the Lions linebacker, but when they made the decision to move on from Campbell to Skinner, it seemed to change everything. Because now it's, you don't have to go out there every night and score five and six goals to win. And no matter how good you are offensively, you want to have some type of cushion to say, okay, if we need to win a game two to one, we got a guy that can do that for us. So that's what I'm looking at as far as the Oilers and their big turnaround this year. I mean, we saw it last year, right? We saw it with the Panthers uh, and how they took out in the postseason, how they took out Boston, who was the best team stati like statistically, historically, right? Absolutely. And it was all by it was all by goaltending, and then they beat the Maple Leafs. So, like, um, and you know, and I know they were the story. We were hoping they'd win the cup, but you saw Bobrovsky play lights out that entire postseason round. They were the worst. They were the last team to get into the playoffs. And we saw them take out the best team statistically, historically, ever in Boston. Um, so, again, it, I'm with you. Goalkeeper, definitely the most important position because that is a sport. And Boston went up 3-1 in that series. Let's not forget that either. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, but you, 
you can win by yourself as a goalkeeper if you stop all the shots, right? I mean, you just can. So um, it's not likely anymore because they keep making rules to to get more goals. But uh, still, goalkeeper is very important because if you can if you can stop the puck from getting into the net, even if they shoot it on you seventy times, you can win a game by yourself. That there's no other position in any sport that can do that. Um, so I'm with you on that. But yeah, shout out shout out to the Oilers and they made the change and they have been just playing lights out um, to, to turn their... Uh, last thing I want to get into, just real quick, I just wanted to shout out my Lady Wolfpack at NC State. Um, tough win over Louisville, who is a ranked team. They came into the team, into the game, 15th in the country. Uh, NC State ladies, number three in the country. Watch out for my Lady Wolfpack. Uh, this is a team that was not ranked coming into the season. Lost some some talent from a really good NC State team last year. Uh, but this team just continues to find ways to to win. Uh, it was a special night. It's, it's the, the the game that NC State has annually to honor Kay Yao, who is basically our women's equivalent to Jim Valvano, and most people know that name, the whole Jimmy V Foundation. Kay Yao is a similar type of thing, a great coach in NC State's basketball history. Unfortunately, uh, lost her battle with cancer, so uh, we have this game to honor her. Tough game. A game where NC State got off to a hot start, was up, I think, 18 at halftime. Uh, and Louisville fought back. Uh, Jada Curry, give her credit, she was awful shooting the ball for most of the first three quarters of the game, but she came through with some big buckets late. Louisville kept fighting back in this game. They they got it very close. Uh, NC State ended up winning by 10, but uh, the game got closer than that the last couple of minutes. Uh, just just a big shout out to NC State for pulling that game out and to Isaiah James. She scored 28 in the game. She just would not let us lose. Anytime Louisville started to make another push to get closer, it was James that was coming through with one basket after another. So it's not just that she scored 28 points. It's when those points came in. A lot of times they were to, to end Louisville runs, to, to push the lead back into a comfortable place. Isaiah James, just a big shout out to her. Um, and as she's done all season, uh, being our best and most consistent scorer. Just a great win uh, for our Lady Wolfpack. Yeah, March Madness is right around the corner, Julius, for both for both women's and men's. So uh, we'll do our bracketology, as always, but uh, I'm going to let that, you know, we'll get a little bit closer to March before we start giving any, um, you know, any predictions on that. Yes, uh, sir. And then quick shout-out to Juju Watkins for putting up 51 points. Uh, you know, the women's game, they have that advantage where – Somebody like Juju Watkins is going to be back at USC next year. So you you get the excitement of a player that young who you know you can build around. You can't do that on the men's side. I mean, if a, if a men's player was to score 50, they'd probably drop out of college at that point and enter the draft <laughs> immediately. But, but on the women's side, you get to get comfortable watching these players. You get to see Caitlin Clark pursue the all-time scoring record. There's, there's not going to be a Another men's player, you know, you know, had the guy who played what six years at Detroit Mercy to try to get the record, but you know, you're not going to see guys at big time programs on the men's side chasing any kind of records because they're all going to leave after one year, even if they're not that good. But on the women's side, we can look at a performance like what Juju Watkins had recently with the 51 points and say she's going to be fun to watch at USC for a couple more years. Yeah, I'm and uh, you know, maybe I'm in the minority on this, but I'm glad he didn't get the record because that would have been ridiculous. <laughs> there, there would have had to have been an asterisk. I'm not normally an asterisk on a record type of guy, but for that one, there would have, there would have had to have been for me personally. 
Me too. Me too. Uh, Berovich, for that record to last as long as it has to, for it to go to a guy who played all those extra years when Maravich broke it at a time where freshmen couldn't even play. Yeah, it's just, yeah. Now, I didn't want to see it go down in that way either. Um, final thing for me, uh, Julius, and I, I mean, kind of in the sports world, but kind of not. Uh, I just wanted to say RIP to Carl Weathers. Uh, he passed away. Yes. Um, yes. He did play in the NFL. He was a former NFL Raider, player. Raider Nation. Raider Nation. Uh, but um, most people probably know him from Rocky or Happy Gilmore or some mm-hmm. of the movies. But, uh, yeah, I just want to say RIP to Carl Weathers. Um, you feel like, you know, every year you're losing people before they should be gone, uh, and, and that's personal yep. life for famous people. But, you know, a lot of people know him, so I just want to say uh, R.I.P. to Carl Weathers. Yeah, I definitely wasn't ready for this one. Uh, R.I.P. Carl Weathers, like you said. I mean, the man is is currently in a commercial with Rob Gronkowski promoting uh, one of the one of the sports betting apps. I forget which one, but yeah, it just just came out of nowhere. Like you said, uh, he's a former Raider, so you know, always Raider Nation for me. But you know, just a guy who is just universally liked. Uh, you know, you can't you can't find somebody who doesn't like Carl Weathers. So, uh, R.I.P. Definitely something didn't see coming. Feels like it happened too soon. Um, hopefully, they air his commercial during the Super Bowl three or four times, uh, so we can get you know one uh, last real good look at him. But uh, yeah, R.I.P. to Carl Weathers. And with that, we're on in this podcast, y'all. Uh, we always appreciate you guys listening. We will be back uh, after the Super Bowl to give our reactions and you know talk about everything that happened. Uh, I'm just hoping for a good game again. I don't have I don't have a team in this fight uh, this year, Julius. So I'm just hoping for a good football game and hopefully no controversial refereeing. Um, I don't need to see that. There could be controversial uh, coaching. I don't care about that, but no controversial. <laughs> Uh, refereeing that dictates this game. I'm just hoping for a good game. Right. Likewise. All right, y'all. As always, we appreciate y'all listening. You can follow us at Two Guys Four Balls Podcast on Facebook, uh, X slash Twitter, and Instagram. Um, if y'all want uh, any more polls, any more content, just let us know. We're always available in the DMs or on the inbox, so just hit us up. Again, we appreciate y'all listening. Thank you for listening to the Two Guys Four Balls Podcast. <laughs>